Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe that there's a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Well, that was a really long week break. It was. It was. We went what? We ended up going... More than one. Two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives. It is a new year. It is a new us. Nah. Same old us. Same old us. <laughs> same old us. With some changes, though. With there some are changes. some changes. It's a it's a new year, new um, new podcasts, N- new thoughts, new objectives, new goals. Yeah, new all the things. Do you want to say more about that, or are we dive uh, in? We will in the in the why part, but we got to talk about beer first. Oh, okay. If you are watching on YouTube, which you should be, and if you're not, come through because. And, okay, if you're watching on YouTube and you're a beer snob, you might not be listening to anything I'm saying because you might be freaking out about the beer that's in front of us. This is Pliny the Elder by Russian River Brewing Company. This is a, this is a legendary beer, uh, my friend Cullen. It's the most... Adam has had it before. I have. I've had it uh, two times in my life. Mm-hmm. I, the original bottle uh, I still have on a shelf at home. So, Unopened or just the empty bottle? Oh, empty. I drank okay, it. Okay, yeah. okay. So it's a it's an Imperial IPA. So like you should really drink these things pretty, pretty fresh. Yep, yeah, yeah. The and fresher so, the better. You also cannot get this in Texas. It's not distributed here. It's uh, from a California. brewery in California called Russian River. And if you're into sours, Russian River Brewing Ooh. has the best sours I've ever had in my entire life. I love stone fruit <laughs> sours. The problem is you have to actually go to California to have all these beers. Um, Let's see. Let's see. It's an, an Imperial IPA. It's ranked number three. Uh, it has a world-class score of 100. Oh, my God. So that's perfection. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. It is. Uh, I'm trying to, is, there, is there anything else that's important about this? Do they make a limited number of them per year, I guess? Like, is, like, is it capped? Like, they only make. So many cases. You or? know, I really don't know why it's so rare and why it's so celebrated. I mean, um, it's brewed with Amarillo, Centennial, Sitz, and Simcoe hops. So those are pretty standard hops, like a California. Uh, it's well, well, Centennial is like a big West Coast. Yeah, West Coast yeah. IPA, right? Um, it is well-balanced with malt, hops, and alcohol. It's 8%. Slightly bitter with a fresh hop aroma of floral, citrus, and pine. That is so true of this beer. Uh, best enjoyed as fresh as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for that's sure. why we make such a limited supply each year. Actual bottling date is printed on each bottle. Of course, it is. So, what right you say? Uh, bottled on November eighth. Yeah, pretty fresh. Pretty fresh. So, um, a lot of people have never had this beer before, and I have a buddy, Ben Chambers. Shout out! He's my uh, beer mentor. He's a mentor in many areas of my life, um, and so he happened to be. At a bar in Northern California that had two uh, bottles that were in the cooler. And so he snagged them. And then he just so happened to be um, uh, needed to get me a Christmas gift. So, Hey, Ben, thank you so yeah. much. My man. Uh, so I do have a question. Like, what, what, what would one of these run someone if you found yourself in California lucky enough to be in a place where one was for sale? Man, that's such a good question, too. <laughs> I th- ben? I, I don't ben? think they're crazy expensive. I think they're like 20-something dollars. Okay, okay, a okay. Piece. Um, I'm trying to, there is actually a picture of the Pliny's in the. Yeah, you sent this to me. Because we were talking about these. Uh, 
Oh, they actually have six of them. Oh, man. And those are other. So that's a, a Blind Pig is another one from uh, Russian right, River. Yep, Russian yep, River yep. Brewing is just incredible. Every I've had a bunch. Uh, and they make oh. wine, too. Um, so, yeah. I don't. It, I okay, mean, so I, not outrageously expensive. Uh, $11. They were $11. Yeah. Each. More than reasonable for, what is this, a pint? Yep. Yeah. You just can't get them. They're just limited. But they do make them annually. Um, mm. So they're mm-hmm. out there in the world. But you, only not, in California, not in Texas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's still your favorite beer. My favorite beer of all time to date is that comes out uh, annually is uh, the one twenty minute. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, IPA. Fish, yeah. Yep. Uh, An it comes, East Coast it, it, IPA. Yep. It used to only come out in September. Okay. Uh, now it comes out in April and September. It is it is heaven. We, we should yep. do one of those. Have you done uh, one of those? They, they are a 12. Yeah, I think I've done yeah. it a couple of times. But they are a 12 fluid ounce. Yeah, and right, right. For a four-pack. Last right. time, I think I thought like, I was getting a steal at like $46 for a four-pack. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So $11 for a, a pint of something that's rare and has a hundred world-class score is actually quite a steal of a deal. Yeah. I mean, it's just about, you know, access. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like everything else like in everything life. Like everything else in life. <laughs> so, right. uh, cheers, mate. Cheers. Uh, let's open this bottle of Pliny. All right. It's, uh, the color's beautiful. So, it is an Imperial IPA, so it's just a really boozy, crisp. It's lighter than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a West Coast IPA. Yeah, but it's, it's very like, yellow. Uh, yeah, I mean, like translucently, almost green yellow. Here, uh, let, me, let me make sure I even this out. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate even it. Out the gold, got to be equitable in our uh, hey. dispensing. Also, hey, shout out to uh, the Upside Pub here in the hood, in the goof, as we like to call it, the G-O-O-F. Hung out with them today. Garden Oaks, Oak Forest. Yeah, it's the goof, baby. Uh, Shout out. I'm wearing their shirt, uh, the Upside Pub, and uh, it's on that back, too. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Oh, it's Um, fun here. Great great little pub. Live in the neighborhood. Uh, Great beer. Had a uh, brash Cali, uh, Cali Green. So, uh, all right, let's let's see... uh, Cullen, <laughs> Cullen's first reaction to Pliny the Elder. Mm, it is. Floral. It's very floral, very citrus, but man, when it when it highlighted that it, I was going to get pine, yep. Um, I was suspect, but man, it's there, and I love it. Um, you haven't even tasted it yet. <laughs> pine is on the palate. Mm, yeah. That's a Simcoe. Yeah. Mm. Um. Mm. It's not like it's just a really well done like Imperial IPA. It's real balanced, yeah. good malt, good uh great hops. I what I wonder what the um IBUs are. I wonder if I could find that real <clears throat> quick. I'm thinking in the 70s to 80s. Let's see. I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I thought I was on Beer Advocate, but oh, here's Russian River's website. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's a pretty good guess. Uh, where did the name come from? Back now, y'all don't care about all that. Just go to the website. So availability is pub draft and bottles. Local distribution only. 
Um, bitterness is high. I don't know. Sorry, should have done more homework. Is it on the bottle? Uh, no, not IBUs. Anyways, if you're a beer nerd uh, and you know why Pliny is such a big deal, you know, comment below or something. Yeah, um, I think it's really good. Um, oh. It's the hops really hangs with you. Like, Afterwards, like, you know how some IPAs mm -hmm. are so crisp that, yes. like, when it all dissipates, it all dissipates? Yep. The bitterness really hangs around on your palate. Um, yeah, it does. It does. Uh, it, it lingers. It's really, like, the viscosity of it is very light. It's low. Yeah, it, it is. It moves very freely. It is. Um, it doesn't have much body to it. It is, as, as Ben says, slammable. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Crushable. Crushable. Yeah, crushable. Yeah, crushable. Yeah. It's, it's crushable. Yeah, it is. Um, it ha it, yeah. It, it's a light summer beer. You know, I might really, at the risk of um, upsetting some people, um, if you put that alongside oh, careful. a handful of any high-quality West Coast style IPA, like take your pick. Um, Careful. I think the average person would miss the differences, and the difference is the pine. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's all these articles that like it, it like revolutionized like American IPA making, hmm. state of the art for turn of the century IPA craftsmanship. Heavy body, loads of bitterness, uh, maybe a. Yeah, loads of, of bitterness. Post kettle hopping. In some cases, still thinking of Britain breweries used whole cones in hops, uh, in hop backs. Yeah, they used to actually like put the hops in the thing. Uh, anyways, they, what do you? They still do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just picking out of this article. Um, All right, I think it. I think it's really good. Um, I gotta say, I. I'm not you're not you're, you're not blown sure. away. I'm not blown away. Certainly not. I definitely think it's good. Well, then like, I'll finish it for you. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, the. Yes, the lightness for me, I think I think I'm more amazed at how much flavor is in it. Yeah. With it, it being so light and crushable, crushable. Um, yeah, that part is interesting. It's a, I, it's a very good beer. Why is Pliny the beer. Elder so famous? It was an impeccably composed beer that represented a clean break from Britain's style of IPA and harnessed techniques that would become standards in later waves of hoppiness, hoppiness in American brewing. Pliny the Elder was, in many ways, the first fully realized modern American IPA. Oh, so so it's a, it's a historic, I guess a nostalgic, so. it holds its place they in beer history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Because now, because on this side of it, not knowing that, I'm going, this is not necessarily, this is pretty run-of-the-mill these it's days. It's not mind-blowing. Yeah. In terms of, well, I, but I will say. Well, like, and I might say that there are some mainstream beers that we have accessible to us in Texas Oh, uh, Yellow Rose, Lone Pine Yellow Rose. Yeah, that <laughs> are every bit as good and if not better. Yeah. Um, but beings that 
it specifically this one pioneered this style of beer. If that is American a true IPA, claim, yeah. then yeah, it is a 100 in my score. And it I only great. score on a scale of 1 to 10. Okay, so what is your rating? Uh yeah, I think it I think it's like an 8.4. It's a very good West like it's a very good light crushable IPA. I'm going to give it a 10. <laughs> Go ahead. Just for the hay of it. Go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Because I'm not smart enough to know why. But you know what? I feel like I'll go with the crowd on this one. I'm going to give it a 10. 10 out of 10, baby. Broke it. All right. Let's talk about some stuff. Uh, Let's talk about why this podcast exists and why you got added on. Ooh, because I'm handsome. Story time. Got to watch on YouTube. Uh. Wellhouse was founded. Wellhouse Church was founded as this dream that I had, and a handful of other people joined me. When Wellhouse launched in September or in August of 2020, yes, Ooh, I decided what a time to be alive to plant a church <laughs> in the heart of COVID. Um, Wow. But I had just been interim pastoring um, a, a congregation yep. that had a median age of like 58. So an Don't older congregation. <laughs> um, and I'd just been pastoring them through COVID. And I stayed with them through July. Yeah. Um, and then August, I planted Wellhouse. And I dreamed Wellhouse up in like 10 years ago, started. And I had this idea of doing a network of house churches. Like I had a lot of complaints that churches spend a lot of money on staff and facilities. Yep. Like the average white evangelical church will use up 75 to some 80% of its money just on its staff and facilities. Yep. And it's the big budget killer. Definitely. Um, and you hadn't, you hadn't done worship. You hadn't done curriculum. Uh, you, you hadn't you, done. You, you haven't uh, a home food to the homeless. Okay. So uh, housing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so we're getting there. You hadn't done the things that churches prioritize right. predominantly, which is to care You'll, for themselves. Yeah. yeah right. uh, and that's why the average white evangelical church or just average uh, Protestant church um, in America um will only give away single-digit percentages of its money. Tax the church. We should do an episode on why we should tax the church. Uh, I, I fundamentally disagree with my pastor about taxing the church. Tax the church. Yeah, I still go to church. You heard it here. Uh, anyway, sorry. That was a, that was a tangential thought. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> well, we can have that conversation. But, so, I dreamed this up, and basically, long story short, the premise of it was... I want to make this place about community, about relationships and people being spiritual people to one another. Mm -hmm. And in order for me to do that, when I get people together, I can't give them information. That's not a way that you get spiritual people interacting with spiritual people. Okay. Me giving them information. You got to have communion or something. Well, no, you got to have community community. Yeah. You got to have people interact relationships. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. And so if I'm going to ask somebody to give up time out of their busy day, I'm certainly not going to ask them to give it to me so that they can listen to me talk. That's dumb. Wow. Um, and so (laughs) says says the podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, look, we, if you are giving well, up your time to listen to us right now, we appreciate you, and we're going to come back around to that. This is <laughs> why I started these podcasts, is because yeah, I yeah, still yeah, yeah. had to have this way, of like, okay, yeah. the information that pastors share is still valuable. I just don't think the medium or the way to distribute that information right. should be like the Lecture. main gathering where you get people together. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, let's do a passive medium like podcasting. And there were four. Originally there were four. Um, and this one was dedicated to the theology conversation. Woo. And I wanted it to be something that was like pints and perspectives that like, Hey, there's room at this table for lots and lots of theological perspectives and, and viewpoints and worldviews. Um, and beer and beer. Of course. Of course. Well, and that was all the beer thing was like edgy Christian. No, it wasn't really that like as much as that Seeker friendly. Nope. Marketing. It, nope. It was simply, Hey, People have really great conversations yeah, in pub it's true. rooms. Yeah, well, in around uh, a, a, a pint. Sharing a pint together yeah, and just sure. being vulnerable with one another and having conversations. Definitely. And listening and conversing with people that view the world differently. Than of course, you. we could have chosen tea or coffee, but that's lame. Pliny the Elder. I guess, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, that's how it all came to be. And so... It came to a point where my brother and I, mm -hmm. uh, who helped me plant Wellhouse, bring back Clayton. Uh, yeah, um, we're doing. We were co-hosting all four of these podcasts every week. Yeah, um, and Clayton, when we put him on this one, thinking about what his role would be, what we said was Clayton can be the voice of the audience. Yeah, sure, sure. Like asking the appropriate questions, thinking through what the average listener would be thinking through compared to my dumb self rambling off about God knows what. Amen, um, brother. Amen. And, but it, but for content development and actual like information being delivered, yeah, it was beginning to feel cyclical. Sure, like yeah. I was beginning to feel like we were about to start recycling information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, hey. We need to change, and an easy one is, hey, yo, my boy, Adam. Let's throw a wrench in this system. He, well, it was like, hey, he got two degrees. It's like, if, if it ain't broke, don't. Well, we're still going to put an Adam in it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't broke. It wasn't. Let's break it. But it was it was a, now, hey. Now I'm the voice of the cynic. I don't know what you are. <laughs> yeah. My thought process was, hey, here's my best friend who we have we have good rapport. Like maybe it'd be Well, we good. talk about this stuff all the time anyways. Yeah, and we uh, did degrees together and yeah. between the two of us there's five of them. Hey. Um on theology. And so yeah, that's right. it felt like a good one. And so I asked Adam, knowing good and well where he is, but I ask you and actually, I asked you to be a part of Wellhouse when Wellhouse was beginning. Boy, you're always trying to hire me. It's true. It's true. I always try to will and do. Try to poach me from every place I've ever been. It's true. It's Here true. I am at the table. Hey, Here I am. It's good salesmanship right there. Uh, okay, <laughs> so I ask you, and you pick up story. 
Yeah. So, um, first of all, a little backstory on me. I, I discovered my love of podcast hosting, like every good white millennial male during the, uh, pandemic. Right. Yep. So yep. Yep. <laughs> I was working for a nonprofit. I still work for a nonprofit, but a different one. Uh, and I, I, launched a podcast and it was very successful and I loved it. I, I just, um, the camera loves me. No, I love the camera and the microphone. And it's just a great way to, uh, I think it's a great communication medium. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I take in tons of information via podcast, uh, various ones on various topics from various production companies and individuals and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so I like this and so you ask, and so I, RIP to crafty chats or uh, hiatus or whatever. So, so I left that job and so I wasn't able to do that podcast anymore. And then I was doing this show on YouTube with our good friend, Samantha. Uh, and then we are, were unable to continue that work. So I was looking for a place to get in front of a camera anyways. Um, but I, but what I said was, okay but I have to be like fully transparently myself and I can just argue with you about stuff. And, and what did I say? You're like, great. That's exactly what I want. Yep. Yeah. So that's, so hopefully that's been a successful choice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Well, especially because you, you hold this strange place where your ethic is unwavering giving over to Jesus. Yeah, for sure. And so in that way you would vehemently say I'm Christian yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But in other ways, which uh, foreshadowing to next week, where yeah. uh, we do is Adam a heretic? I can't wait for that one. I got a good beer Some for that of, one too. Hey, look, there's a special beer that you'll never be able to have. Never, <laughs> never in your life on the next episode. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So, <clears throat> I think I should talk about why I'm doing this. Yeah. That, so okay. So one of the things was at some point I said at some point like I, I we need to explain why we do this. Yep. Because here I just so just airing a little bit, maybe it's white guilt. I don't know, y'all, but just airing some things that are on my heart and mind. Man, that was such a Christian thing to say. Um, why? I already hinted at it. Like everybody's got a podcast, right? Like, yep. and then and and white males talking about theology over beer is like a saturated market AF. Like we are yeah. not special here. Nope. Um, and so I just want to like make sure to dispel that myth that like yeah we know we're not special. Um, I'm not. This level of self awareness is. Uh, I just so good. I'm like it's not so so okay. Here's the deal. So I said yes to this, and yep. it has been so much fun because I love having theological conversations that are honest, transparent, and I know that no matter what we are, talk about, no matter how much we disagree or argue, it's fine. And maybe that's the beer, right? Like we're you know just move yeah. on next next idea. And so my deconstruction journey was. Uh, was was um, hmm. sparked by and fueled by theological education. The more I studied, the more I learned, the more I deconstructed. You know, there is this thing where they say like seminary is really just a cemetery. And I guess it was because I, I was, when you start to actually read text in its original language and you actually start to read real scholars who have been doing this work for, you know, generations of building upon generations, building upon uh, centuries, building upon centuries, like there, you, you learn some things and, and your view of things 
is no longer just that system that was handed to you as a child. Yeah. Well, and the, the breadth and the variety of those perspectives that you are forced to get exposed to in theological education, if nothing else, because of the historical theological development aspect. Sure. I mean, we have to remember that we as Americans are the newcomers to the table of spirituality. Right. Exactly. Uh, Unless you're going to go back to native Americans. Right. Right. Um, we are the newcomers. Right. This all and the development of it, we are the new world. Yeah, American Christianity is a new development. It's it's not some ancient thing. It's only 300 <laughs> years old. I mean, yeah. literally, yeah. when we came over here colonizing right. is when it begins. Yeah, and so um, you start to read other people and start to see other perspectives, and it's just like Christianity is so much bigger and so much more broad. Um, and so... Then I'm not going to tell my whole deconstruction story because that's not the point of this. But you can find a version of that on one of our other podcasts, early episode. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, almost like two years ago, I think. It would, yeah, yeah. It would have been like September 2020. Yeah, that's crazy. So here's the deal. So like, I don't do this podcast because I think, and I'll just speak for myself. You can speak for yourself. But I didn't say yes to Cullen. I didn't say yes to this. And I don't consistently do this because I think that the world needs to hear my opinion on the dead horses of theological debate. Like everybody, like we're going to do a series on the problem of evil. That privileged white males have been arguing about the problem of evil for centuries and have published in the mediums uh, most effective in their day for centuries you the world does not need more of this that is not why i am here that is not what this is for me but what it is is giving voice to when i when my whole faith was coming apart and everything i thought and believed was like falling apart at the seams and i was losing relationships and i was walking away from the church and i thought i would never return to a church again i thought i would never uh be a christian again like i was just throwing all of it off all i wanted to hear was that was that somebody was from somebody that i wasn't crazy that i wasn't crazy that that the that the conclusions i had come through come to through my deconstruction process didn't mean that i was insane and gonna burn in hell forever i just needed somebody who understood where i was who understood me who who could who could empathize with me and go bro you're in process i've been there just it's okay it's gonna be okay and that question you're asking is totally valid. And here's a book on it. And here's how I wrestled through it. So that's why I'm doing this is because I believe this, this Sam, this is not for our friend, Sam. She knows this. I, I was with her today. I should have told her I was going to use her as an example. Everyone is not our audience. Yeah. But maybe there are some of you out there who are wrestling with, the complexities uh, of theology, the theology you were formed in and handed and the theology you hold now or lack thereof. Um, And maybe you just need to hear somebody say, yeah, the Bible's whack and you're not crazy. Yeah. That's what I needed. So here I am trying to step into that place for others who might need what I felt like I needed. Yeah. And if, and if this is not for you, if, if the last thing you want to do is watch two white guys drink beer and talk theology, bye. 
much love. There are better podcasts. I have. I could recommend some. <laughs> Strict scrutiny. It's nothing but liberal women talking about the Supreme Court on a weekly basis. Go, go watch them. It's the polar opposite of whatever this is. Mm-hmm. But but maybe maybe you have a problem with the problem of evil too, and maybe you've been hurt by the church, and maybe every Christian leader in your life began that was well not every. Maybe a lot of the leaders in your life started worshiping Donald Trump instead of Jesus too. Mm. I feel you. Let's wrestle together. Mm. Also, I want to say one more thing. Or do you want to reflect on that? And then I have one other. I have one other soapbox I want to share about why I still <laughs> call myself a Christian. But but anyway. Yeah. I talked for a long time. Uh, I think I would second a lot of things that you said. Um. I think for me, I don't, so for anybody that is looking for like my credentials, I have three degrees in this and I, those degrees could take me a lot of different directions. And when people refer to me, I correct them. Mm. If they call me a theologian, I correct them. To be fair, everyone's a theologian. Everybody. If I tell you that Jesus is a third century Roman woman, and you say bullshit, uh, you are a theologian because you have made a comment about God. Uh, you have made a determination, <laughs> entered, a statement about God. You have entered God. into a theological debate yeah. on the nature of Jesus. That makes you a theologian. <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, so everyone's a theologian in that way. But true. When, when we talk about academic theologians, sure. I correct people. I am not. Yeah. I am a homiletician. Mm. I am a communicator of spiritual truths. Yeah. Um, and so I do this because of that. I think because of my degrees and the training that I've had, I have a very unique understanding of very, very complex theological issues and a wealth of knowledge of the history and the debate of those issues. And I have this unique, uh, nerd desire (laughs) to be the best communicator and storyteller that I can dream of being and, and work to be. And so I think it makes this nice place where hopefully um, I'm communicating some things and making space for some people that didn't feel like they had voice or space for them. Yeah. Leading into the deconstruction conversation. Um, I think that is a place um, where I try to exist as well as like, hey, here's this white dude that grew up super conservative, yeah, and is now super progressive for yeah. you know all the things yeah. that that means, um, and that it's okay. You can still love Jesus and yeah. be that person. Yeah, that's you true. Can still have uh, a great love for the Bible. This yeah. is the other, this is the thing that pisses me off. If I'm gonna get on my soapbox for a second, then we'll let you get to go for thing. it. The thing that pisses me off is when people say, "Oh, you go left, you abandon the Bible." I did. <laughs> you can. I did it. But you don't have to. You, you don't have to. No, that's fair. I I 
I know lots of people who are like you, who who chose, who still deep hold a, a, a very high regard for, and the Bible holds still holds a place of authority in their life. I went through deconstruction for as long as I did in the beginning, like the hard part where it's like you're battling between whether or not you're agnostic or you're at some kind yeah. of weird place. I was in that place for so long because I was trying to save the Bible. I, you were trying to justify it? Or, no, no oh, right, I was sorry. trying to save it for my own faith. Got it, got it. My got it, yeah. training, my theological academic training, I was like, screw that thing. It's terrible. It has so many contradictions. There are so many textual variants. Like, that thing is not reliable at all. That's true. And my faith, <laughs> my faith was going, but well, wait. that certainly can't be true. That certainly cannot be the truth of it. Um, yeah. And I spent so much time in that am I an agnostic, am I a Christian phase of deconstruction because I needed to save the Bible. So do you feel like you're successful? I think I have a greater love and appreciation for the Bible today than I ever have in my life. Yeah, that's fascinating. I would say the exact opposite. Well, so... I think that, well, I think that's different uh, because you were happy to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, at, at, at a certain point, I became happy to give it up. I fought for years. I fought for years. Yeah. yeah I yeah, mean, yeah. most of my academic motive, like most of what motivated me to put all those years and write all those tens of thousands of pages and to read all those books, those hundreds and hundreds of books, was because I was trying to... I think deep down inside, the truth was I was trying to answer the unanswerable questions and I was trying to defend a text that in my head I thought was full of contradictions and illogical. But but I but I yeah. kept doing the work to try to overcome that. And I kept making the arguments that it was real and that, and that it was these well, things. Yeah. But, so, yeah. So for but me, that was me. It, I mean, it's very real, but but. Having a love and appreciation for the Bible also means taking the Bible for what it is and stop projecting sure, onto right. it our modern understandings right. of what it should be. Absolutely. It's a yeah. very ancient book yeah. that has rudimentary information and scientific development right. uh, thousands of years ago. Yeah. It's been edited across thousands of years by multiple iterations of the same uh, culture of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, and the new Testament is an entire, like it's an entire different cultural realization than the old Testament. Yeah. I mean, yeah, most of them are written by Hebrews, by Jews, but there's hundreds and hundreds of years apart. From well, so there's hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of years apart. There's a lot but, of evolution there, but also they're Hellenized. Yeah, right. They're writing right, right. in Greek. The world is different. Yeah, the world is different. The worldview is different. Sure. Jesus is jumping on scene and changing things, and then and then we have these people that are writing letters, right. which is a new concept. Yeah. To the Bible. Well, writing. Look, think think about the Old Testament, Adam. No, you got any letters? I was gonna say, well, like writing on paper was a new concept yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> compared to the original text of the old testament they were just oral tradition yeah and and well in the way that writing comes together right technology it's very different man. than how we write now right nobody in the ancient world sitting down at a desk in a in a room with four walls where they're undisturbed to write you know why because that means it's dark 
Uh, the ancient world doesn't have electricity. That's not how writing happened. You know how writing happened? You hired a scribe and you met them in a park. An amanuensis. You met them, yeah. You, you amanuensis. Dropping boy, them terms. Had a boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You hired a scribe or an amanuensis to, to go out with you and you were at a park and you might have a couple of like collaborators where you're thinking it through and you tell it to them and then they go, okay, they write it down and then one of your collaborators goes, oh, say this in their own words. And then the author goes, oh, I like that. Verbatim. Write it down. That act right there is called an interpolation. Interpolation. Somebody else other than the author yep. in like inserted a phrase into their writing. Yeah. That is yeah. an interpolation and it is going to look different than the right. author. Right, right, right. Their their vocabulary, their vernacular. Yeah. This is First Corinthians. Right. I, Paul, and Sosthenes. Oh, that's a co-author. That's another person. These things happen. If you're in a park, you're reading out loud, right? Mm. As people walk by, oh, hey, you should say this. What are you talking about? Have a conversation. Oh, this is how it happened in the ancient world. That alone combined with the truth that they're writing letters. Yeah. It's literally yeah. someone's mail. Um. You're reading someone's mail and you only have half the conversation. Yeah. Um, it's hard. And then white evangelicalism, because they want prescriptive theology over right. narrative theology. Rules. Give me rules. Chose those. Yeah. Over the rest of the text. Right. Did you know that in the average um, evangelical, like low church, evangelical, free church tradition on any given Sunday in America, 80%, let's like 83 or something, somewhere low 80s, percent of the sermons preached will be from 13 letters in the New Testament. Yeah, we talked about this. Paul. Paul, of course, yes. That That is why you can't... That's why you struggle with the Bible. I want to talk about why I still consider myself a Christian. Let's do it. I want to set that straight. I get asked often why I still call myself a Christian by Christians and non-Christians alike. And here's why. Because... I, two reasons. Number one, I've been deeply formed by Jesus, the person. Like everything I am has been influenced by this person named Jesus. Historical figure, whatever. A God, whatever. But the ethic, the morality, the story, the choices. The figure, the, the tradition, figure. the lore. Yeah, the, his words and actions as recorded in the Bible. Hey. Um, uh, so you don't love the Gospel of Thomas rendition? Sure, I've read them all. Lies, you don't love that one. Jesus is not a great character in that one. Well, you know, maybe there was something there was something to read something to Anyways, uh, is Adam a heretic? Tune in next week. Um, so, number one, I just feel like there are many good ways to live your life. I feel like Jesus offers us a very, very compelling way to live a good life. And I'm bought in. Secondly... I own Christianity. Now that's inflammatory. Hold on, wait, let me explain. I got two degrees. I pastored for 10 years. I've done Christian nonprofit outreach ministry, prayer ministries. I started a prayer. I founded a prayer ministry. I've been Christian 
Christian upon Christian, just stacks on stacks of Christianity. Stacks on stacks on stacks. Ordained, uh, baptized at the age of five, participated in a charismatic movement, uh, ordained in the Baptist church. I've attended every sort of church service you can imagine, read all the books, know all the hymns. I am a Christian, and I will be damned if I let right-wing, conservative, white evangelical political sellouts own Christianity Hell no, I will not go. Catch me at the church on Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.